0: Welcome to e commerce innovators, a podcast that brings together the brightest minds in the industry to explore innovative strategies and trends in global e commerce. Our host is John LeBaron, Chief Revenue Officer at Pattern, the premier partner for global e commerce acceleration. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for joining today. My name is John LeBaron. I am the Chief Revenue Officer here at Pattern. Thanks so much for joining this podcast today. We have a special friend on the show and we'll get to that right away. His name is Charlie Ninninger. He is the VP of sales at Nixon. Charlie, you and I have known each other, uh, I guess, off and on for the last couple of years. Been at dinners and conferences and all that kind of fun stuff. Have a, a lot of mutual friends and acquaintances. So tell us a little bit about yourself, Charlie, and what you do at Nixon and
1: where you've been. Yeah. Well, first off, John, as I was saying, I miss you, buddy. We were were hitting all these conferences together and seeing each other in the airplane and at, uh, you know, crossing paths and then the pandemic and nothing happened for a year and a half, two years. So it's good. It feels like we're coming back and I'm really excited for you to launch this podcast recently and honored to be a part of it. So thanks. Thanks a lot. Yeah. yeah. So I guess Uh, A little bit about me, as you said, I'm the vice president of sales at Nixon. Um, I've really, you know, I think this podcast is probably a lot about e-commerce and direct to consumer. And so I'm I'm having major imposter syndrome because I really came up through kind of traditional retail and wholesale. And uh, over the last, you know, five years or so, I've really had to merge that with um, a balanced approach to e-commerce and D2C. couple couple seconds about nixon nixon's about a little over 20 year old brand born out of the action sport and lifestyle youth space we make a lot of cool accessories we're very much known for watches that's the product we started with and have had for a long time um if you're from if you have the passions that i have and you're from kind of where i'm from southern california there's no way you don't know nixon but i'm sure there's plenty out there who haven't heard of it great brand and a family brand for me i've only been here i got here you know unknowingly eight minutes before the pandemic started, but uh, about 10 years ago, my wife worked for Nixon as well. And it's in my backyard. So I've had so many friends in and around the business and it's a great, great brand to be a part of. Yeah, so.
0: So tell us a little bit, kind of like day to day, what you, what is your remit? What are you responsible? Where does Nixon play from an e-commerce perspective versus traditional wholesale, brick and mortar, retail, specialty, surf shops, et cetera. Tell me, help us understand kind of the ecosystem of the sales motion go to market for Nixon.
1: Yeah, sure. So we're, we're global brand. Uh, sure, um, North America is probably our, our primary market. It's where we started. And it's one of the most important and most mature for us, though, we have international offices, we have an office in hospital France, we have an office in Hong Kong, one in Japan, we have an office in Australia, so truly a, gro- a global brand. And um, you know, we were born in an era where there wasn't a lot of e-commerce, uh, especially for brands like this. And that's that's very much changed over the 20 plus years we've been in business. So what it's like now is coming out of the pandemic, especially as we really centralize a lot of our operations through our North American office. So even our e-commerce efforts for Europe and, and other markets are really being led by our North American office. And then my role is... I actually oversee everything that's not e-commerce, but then I work really close in partnership with Gary Penn, who's the VP of the direct-to-consumer side. And where we really meet in the middle is on Marketplace because I think you really need a cohesive strategy across all channels so that once we don't step on each other's toes. And um, yeah, so basically my pr- primary oversight is of North America and then our distribution business in Europe and Latin America, and again, marketplaces. I'm on a marketplace steering committee, so we do a lot of work there together as well. Yeah,
0: I love it. Well, I'd love to dive a little bit more into your background too. One of the cool things that I love about you is you're just so tied into that Southern California kind of community, and you've had a lot of your career and these formative experiences, et cetera. One of the great things, I know you, volunteer a lot or give some time back into the startup scene and and helping kind of cultivate some of these relationships and give back to the community. Tell us a little bit about that, I guess from both an innovation standpoint, I'm sure you're kind of at the forefront of a lot of innovation that's happening and cool brands and up and coming. And so maybe this is a broad question and I, apologize for kind of throwing it at you that way, but help us understand a little bit about some of the innovation that you're seeing from brands that you're advising and, and helping out with, and then maybe a little bit of some of the, you know kind of recommendations or advice that you're giving them as it relates to setting up their distribution channels and, and e-commerce specifically.
1: Yeah, cool. So down here in San Diego, we have a thing called um, San Diego Sports Innovators, and it's an advocacy group for lifestyle brands and businesses in San Diego. Yeah. And they have an accelerator program So basically, young businesses will show up, apply, and they come in and say, hey, I need help scaling, pivoting, getting up and off the ground, uh, maybe raising capital. And for 20 weeks, they go through this process of getting a set of mentors assigned. And each mentor kind of has their own unique discipline or specialty. And I've been lucky enough to be part of that program for a couple of years. And I get to be the lead mentor on a couple. And I've gotten to work with really cool businesses and brands. I mean, a recent one is sunday golf they're a really cool fun lifestyle uh golf brand that just makes a small sunday bag and like they don't care about the score they're probably not even wearing golf shoes they're barefoot probably drinking a beer it's fun and you know they launched a kickstarter campaign and they did amazing and the next thing was like how do we make this a real business and 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 another one that i just got off of was one called park it movement and they're like the yeti cooler of of beach chairs right so really well made beach chairs expensive but they have a cool cooler and they're the same thing like we had this amazing kickstarter we've got an amazing product now we have to get to that next stage of how we really go to market where do we consider wholesaler distribution partnerships what's the best way to approach amazon should we be there in a meaningful way should we focus on our website there's a billion questions and we just get to help kind of it would be the wrong thing to just tell them what to do but help them kind of vet the options and uh that's always fun because uh i think the ultimate takeaway is on the, my day job where i spend all my time is at a very mature brand that came up in that wholesale era with no d2c and we're finding our balance now and these, yeah. these brands that are starting up have to do the same and and i actually ultimately think that you often end up in the same place you know i think it's just this balanced mix of what serves you best, serves your customer best. And a younger brand might start in a different position than an older brand, but I do think you work kind of towards the same spot.
0: Yeah, I guess a couple of things that I'm hearing is as you describe that is one, you know, just starting, I guess, with a customer in mind, you know, being close to the actual users who are gonna be using these products, whether it's on the golf course or whether it's on the beach um, or for you guys, you know, it's in this action sports kind of genre and being really, you're just kind of getting a vibe of the person, but also if there's practical application on how to use the product or why it excels in a given area is is kind of one of those. So I'm interested that you mentioned, you know, you don't want to give them just the answers, you want to just give them some stuff to think about. That sounds like a new version of retail therapy, I guess. And then you're, <laughs> you're kind of this therapist well, to them and you can't give them all the answers,
1: right? Well, you know, not to cut you off, but I, I will say this. I think. In years past, it was like, build out your your storefront and then find one email sort of partnered and get yeah. busy. And it's like, today to run a proper e-commerce operation, to run a proper marketplace operation, it's there's so much going on. There's so much you have to do right to be competitive and there's so right. much you can miss and do wrong that it is overwhelming. So I think the nature of that landscape is you've got to figure out what you can really own and do well and where you need really good partners. And, and, you know, this is what you and Pattern do so well is offer a nice tight package to a business that might not have the infrastructure. And what's crazy for me is working with these startups, I think about how much they have to get right to really scale and it's (laughs) overwhelming. But then I think of a much more mature business with a big e-commerce team like we have at Nixon and I'm like, oh man, we still got to do a lot right. And it feels overwhelming and we are way ahead of these guys. But, um, but at the end of the day, it's also something. It's like they say, eating an elephant. Right? You just got to take one bite at a time and and do a little better each day, and uh, you'll get there.
0: Yeah. So I'm curious. Like, and I I agree with you, by the way. Like, we have I think when I joined the company, there were forty some odd employees, and and today we have over a thousand. So you're absolutely right. Like, there's just so much, and it feels like the bigger you get, the more capabilities and competencies you develop. But the more you realize like, wow, we've got Amazon dialed, or we've got Walmart dialed, but man, look at Zalando, or look at Lazada, or look at MercadoLibre. And it's this never ending black hole of requirements <laughs> and competencies and uh, learnings. And then of course, even if, you know, anyone who says they've got Amazon dialed is just, you know, just wrong because it just changes so frequently and new policies are, are you know, people leave and new people come in and, is just this ever uh, expanding kind of challenge that's makes what our lives so fun, right? So it's good. Yeah,
1: I feel like I mean, remember when all of a sudden they shut off one PPOs for a while? Everyone yeah. Or whatever. I do think it is also alluring to you go. Well, there's a yeah, you know, there's a billion people in Latin America. How do we get to Merc- Mercado Libre? But I also want to get into China. And then what's going on in Europe? And it's like you really have to be strategic about what you can tackle, when you can tackle it, and how you tackle it. But. um and I, I guess like you and I are still here because we're still engaged in it. We are still having fun dealing with this pain of an ever changing landscape. But, um, and I also just think of all the tools and stuff that are at your disposal that weren't five years ago and things like yeah. that. Yeah. It's, it's dynamic. It's fun. again, uh, imposter syndrome's kicking in. I'm not the expert. I don't live in seller central. I don't operate our email campaigns or SEO right. plan, but it is fun because I make sure to try and stay up to speed and involved and because. Again, if these—if you're at a company that has both sides of that kind of retail, wholesale business and direct-to-consumer, if it's not stitched together so tight, there's no daylight, you're causing yourself pain that uh, should be easily avoided, and that's what we work hard to do every day.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, I want to get a little bit into your background and, and some of the formative time that you spent and how it shaped, maybe some of the mistakes you made, some of the success you had. And then I do want to come back around and, and get some uh, retail therapy from Dr. Niniger here. So maybe just give us uh, our listeners a little bit of a sense of, you know, where you grew up in your career and some of the things you learned uh, what to do, what not to do, et cetera. I think, I think they get a lot from it.
1: Yeah. So I, you know, I grew up in Southern California. I was a surfer. Uh, you know, I played stick and ball sports until I discovered surfing. And then I was like, this is really fun. <laughs> just before college, I launched my own, I'd kind of been entrepreneurial, started a couple of little businesses in high school. And then I started a surf contest, nonprofit surf contest uh, for a friend of mine who, frankly, my best friend passed away and, and we wanted to remember him. And we started this surf contest. And to execute this contest, I had to do all this stuff, figure out how to get a permit. I had to go to these brands and get sponsorship dollars or product. And in going to these brands to do that, I was you know, going to college and like, well, these offices look cool. I want to work here. I always joked that like, if you had a ping pong table back then, you were a cool company. And I was looking at companies with surfboards and wetsuits and snowboards. And I was like, this is where I want to go. Oh, so yeah, so I entered that space a you know, hundred years ago and I worked at a shop and then I was a rep. And then I became a sales manager and really came up through kind of traditional wholesale. And the most kind of formative, the reason I think you and I are talking and I didn't get stuck only on that wholesale side is yeah. that I went to work for a company called Spy. And spy is an eyewear company in that space you know same thing 25 years old actually probably 27 now and i went in as a sales manager worried about our wholesale side and i elevated up to a vice president level and then at some point our owner came in and he was like e-commerce is the future we're way behind we're going to really fund the e-commerce side and you know almost at the expense of the wholesale business which was like the whole business and he was right directionally, I think, but maybe wrong in how far he shifted it. But I was at a level where I was like, okay, well, if we're gonna do that, we gotta do this in concert, and we just went through these some growing pains together. So you're right, there were some growing pains and like finding the balance of like, we probably paid for way too nice of a website at that time. You know, we <laughs> got the Ferrari when we were maybe right. could have been we could have been in the Prius or something, right. right? Like we made mistakes like that, but we learned along the way, and and really, the, my success was going okay, I'm open to this. How can I help it Um, countering some of the ideas that might've cost us some business, but at the same time, making hard decisions. Like at at that point, we had anybody and everybody selling on Amazon and the price was horribly off where it should have been. And we kind of said, Hey, if we're going to do this right, we have to have clean distribution. And by the way, that means we're taking our top line down because we're going to cut off a bunch of bad distribution. Are you okay with that? And we had to sell it and they but it was the guy who did who was making these decisions was really supportive. And just kind of working our way through that process to finding a nice, healthy balance that um, wasn't 100% one or the other, um, but we landed on it. we actually were successful enough that we sold the company a couple of years ago and um, to a great new owner who's funding it now. And that's the point at which Nixon called and said, hey, we're kind of in turnaround mode. We have a great brand. We've got our founders back in with new owners. We've got a new executive team and the last piece we haven't filled yet is kind of the wholesale lead who's going to help us also marry well with marketplace strategy. Are you interested? And yeah, uh, yeah, they said turnarounds aren't for the week. Uh, And I was like, all right, well, let's give it a go. And then I landed and four seconds later, the pandemic kicked in and what was already a turnaround became a massive, (laughs) massive undertaking. But uh, we're better for it. And it's been a fun adventure. Yeah. Well,
0: I know you joked a lot about imposter syndrome, et cetera. And I think, you know, just going back to this notion of mentoring and advising folks, I I do, and maybe even overspending and buying the Ferrari or whatever. It is interesting to me. I mean, we talked to hundreds of brands and it is, you know, it's easy. It's alluring, especially with all the tools and the shiny objects, et cetera, to get kind of pulled into, discussions, and I'm guilty of it as well, right? Like around, you know, machine learning and data science and traffic and keywords and optimization and bidding algorithms and all this other fun stuff. But at the end of the day, I mean, I really enjoy talking to people with your background because it does start with distribution. Like one of the first metrics we look at when we analyze a brand is how often are you in stock? How often are you out of stock? Mm -hmm. On what skews? How dialed is your You know, supply chain basically. How dialed is your ownership of the buy box and all that sort of stuff? And so, distribution control and brand control kind of are paramount to you know what we call this profitability flywheel, which is you get control first, and not just control in e-commerce. You get control of brick and mortar. You get control of your pricing, and that is really what catapults you into to massive growth. So. You kind of spoke to that a little bit. You spoke to those challenges at SPY. You spoke to those challenges at Nixon. And I think it does require someone with a bit of chutzpah to be able to back away and say, no, we were, we are going to shred some POs. And not only with, by the way, you know, specialty surf shops or you know, eyewear companies or whatever, but it's even Amazon. I've been very oh. impressed and shocked by the people with the discipline to say. Amazon is behaving badly in my channel. They're eroding price. They're bullying, whatever, and we're going to cut them off for a while, or even permanently if they do a you know big switch to three P. So, I love that, and I, I don't know. Again, if you have any experiences on that to speak to, but it, it's a really powerful concept, but that that is easy to talk about, but very hard to implement.
1: Yeah, you're uh, you're hitting the nail on the head, and you're I don't know if it's PTSD you're bringing up or what, but we basically. <laughs> You know, the thing for me is both companies I've been at and we've made these big, big overhauls, they have unique unit dynamics, right? So they're small packages, high ASP, tons of margin generally, comparative to some sort of commodity. You know, we're not selling aluminum foil or something. Uh, So those dynamics are really good for selling on Amazon, uh, whether whoever's selling it, right? So you got a lot of stuff to play with. Um, but that also creates a lot of noise if you're not keeping your distribution clean. And that that has been the hardest thing is kind of, you got to have a strong gut to take on that distribution cleanup if you've let it get out of hand. And then to even, yeah, we've turned around, we've turned away as we pivoted, both companies pivoted from 1P to 3P. We had to shut off a lot of big, beautiful POs from Amazon, uh, 1P, so that we could own it. Because once we got the... the market clean, we could, we felt more comfortable setting the price with 3P or at least offering the MSRP where it's supposed to be at and you lose that control at 1P. But again, if we were selling t shirts or some other thing that didn't have these unit dynamics, it would be a whole different story. But that has been our thing It's like we've, we've at both places I've been it's like, we don't need a million people selling to the same customer on Amazon, we need one or two doing it right. Yeah, we'd like to be that one. Ideally, uh, if it's profitable for us to do it, if not, we need best in class partner. Um, and again, you know, if you have 20 people, 40 people, I mean, I've been at companies when there was more than that. It's like, every, people start chipping away by a penny or a nickel, it just gets ugly fast. And it's not a good consumer experience. So you just, and you can't even really efficiently market, right? If everybody's trying to spend money on the same product. So its it's just it's not the way to go. And that's the process we've been through is cleaning it up, focusing it. And it's generally been really rewarding to do it, but you've got to, you know, you got to have a company that's ready to go down that long road with you because it doesn't happen overnight.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely.
1: As you know, well, I'm sure. Yeah.
0: (laughs) We definitely made a business out of this, but you know, it it is interesting. I'm, I'm looking at your time teller, you know water resistant analog fashion watch you know which i'm sure is a great 125 bucks 4200 ratings you know four and a half star you know reviews etc and, and a bunch of different stuff and it looks like you can have like a branded store that you sell this out of i mean you talk about control and i'm looking at pricing over time and it's pretty steady it looks like they're you know every once in a while the price will drop maybe on a promo or maybe some third-party seller gets a hold of it but Pretty solid price consistency, you know. Good imagery, good titles, awesome, amazing product. Obviously, it's forty two hundred ratings. Like it's it's in a good spot. So you talked a little bit about this control and willingness to kind of rein in. Hey, we don't need a hundred sellers for this watch. You know, tell us a little bit about kind of the benefits that have accrued in your favor as you've taken control because you know, this is e commerce innovators, the podcast, and I think the notion of control is a vastly undervalued um, innovation in e-commerce that pays dividends. This notion of really getting down a selective distribution, whether you're the only one selling, whether you're using a partner like Pattern, whether you have a, a small group of authorized sellers, um, it's an innovation that I've seen just work like gangbusters for brands. So maybe, yeah, just help, help us walk through what, what benefits you guys have accrued by implementing that strategy, either you know at Nixon or Spy.
1: Well, so you picked our our number one seller, uh, by dollars and units. It's kind of our entry level classic analog watch. You've picked it at a time where we've only really our kind of the benefits of our marketplace strategy are only really paying off the last handful of months. Not that it was so bad, but we, again, we went from when I got here, anyone who was a wholesaler was authorized to sell there. Um, there was always some unauthorized activity chipping away at the right price. We were one P. And so when we went through this process of uh, a blowing up anybody who was suspected of bad distribution, gray market activity, just get them out. Right. And then it's like, Hey, 45 plus retailers who are selling on here. We it's too much noise. We went to six and eventually down to just one as a backstop. And we are the only ones offering it in an authorized fashion. Otherwise, and we also increase the price because i don't know if you've heard supply chain is really rough right now and the costs have gone way up and that's our entry price point so it's not necessarily our longest margin um but all of that is to say like it's not perfect right that's the that's also the the product with the biggest uh target on its back so if somebody gets their hand on a little bit of it and they want to go in an unauthorized way and chip the price away they can so we fight every day we spend a lot of resources time energy and money to get that marketplace clean but We've seen our buy box go way up double triple and because of that we've you know if frankly when we sell one the gross margin dollars are nearly double when we do it instead of going through a 1p or a wholesaler and that's great. It just helps us fund some of the economics behind the marketing of it and the more resources we can put behind cleanliness of the market. And the most important thing for me, the guy who isn't in charge every day of just the DDC effort is now when my wholesaler looks, he sees what you saw. it's at the right price. And now if I have a customer in front of me, in front of the case at my retail store, and they're going, this is great, I want it, but let me see if it's cheaper online. They look, they go, it's not cheaper online. Let me get this one here now. And to me, that's giving the customer what they want. And if they wanna wait for it to show up in two days, great, buy it on Amazon. We don't really care where you buy it. We just want it to be a level playing field and make sure that you get what you need.
0: Yeah, no, <laughs> so many good points there we could dig into. And, and on, I guess, you know, devil's advocate on the flip side, I'm looking at the 5130, you know, 500 bucks on Amazon. And maybe from that perspective, right? Now, so this is a very different type of product. And looks great again. Price stable. All the stuff. You know, I can see dividends happening.
1: A lot of good. You're, making, you're making me sweat over here. So I hope, <laughs> I hope it looks good. You know, be honest here. Don't be kind, but I appreciate that. I'm yeah. glad it's looking well. Good. Yeah, I mean, we can definitely
0: help you with some of the imagery on this on, on this specific ASIM, but it's it's all good. So, but I guess the other question from my perspective is just, you know, if I look at this and I'm saying, okay, 500 bucks, pretty expensive. I and mean, that's more expensive than an Apple Watch here. But then I go to your, you know, kind of branded storefront and you get a little bit more of the lifestyle and maybe coming full circle is what we talked about earlier of really understanding your customer and the segmentation, et cetera. Like, tell us a little bit because I'm sure that's gotta be kind of tricky. You know, you're it's a it's a hyper competitive, especially with the you know, entree of smart watches, et cetera. It's a hyper competitive kind of space. How do you guys maintain an edge? How do you guys as a company innovate? to stay ahead of it, stay close to the customers and not have a target on your back?
1: Well, a couple of things. You went from our entry price point to kind of one of our top tier flagship products. And uh, that one's uh, competitive for other reasons, because it does offer a really high ASP. And it's a it's a totally different type of product in the watch line we have. But yeah, you're right. You know, I think, and one of the fundamental things that was going on at Nixon and other brands in our space who were doing watches is that, 6 years ago the Apple Watch didn't exist. Today, it's more than 50% of the entire watch market. Yeah. It's insane. So that was a painful and t- a handful of years and Nixon suffered along with the broader category for it. You know, we don't currently make a smart product. We have in the past. It's it's very hard for us to do it profitably because we don't have that massive scale and tech advantage, but it's something we're always looking at. Yet we do incorporate tech in some it. So we have altimeters, barometers, compasses in our watches. We're trying to be competitive um, with products like that. But really what Nixon does best, and here's the reality, nobody needs a watch, right? You have a phone, you know what time it is. It has all the apps that can do whatever you want. Yep. Um, and what we do is we offer a very, you know, I think a stylish lifestyle-based sort of option if you do want to wear a watch. And we try and just have something that's meeting our customer where they are. And yeah, I think we could probably bring... In, I know my partner who does oversee e-comm is just like, I know we're having these meetings. It's like, you can't, you know, this, you can't have enough content, right? It's like, where, how do we get more lifestyle on Amazon? How do we get more rich content on our website? How do we get more videos on YouTube that tell the story of the brand and the products? And it's like, this is the world we live in now. There's never enough. So we're always looking for more and more and more. Again, we're a pretty mature, good-sized business, and we don't have enough. It's got to be intense when you're smaller or starting out and scaling. But um, all, all we try and do is be the best Nixon we can be. Our customers have loved us for it. The good thing is coming out of the pandemic, and actually even just before it started, our category started shifting. We started growing again in ways we hadn't in years before, mostly because of that smartwatch, Apple Watch dynamic, I think. Um, And really for us, it was just finding our voice, like, hey, we can't out Apple, Apple. I don't think anybody can. I wouldn't want to be trying to sell some sort of earbuds right now. I think (laughs) AirPods have more revenue than Tesla, right? So uh, (laughs) true stat, right? We just saw that uh, recently. But um, so we have to be who we are and offer. And, you know, we have a great like Tide Watch business for surfers. Um, we always have. We have a great lifestyle business. We sell more analog lifestyle, kind of classic watches than anything else. Yep. And then we have a nice host of accessories that complement it from bags and hats are a big focus of ours. We've always made belts and wallets. And I think ultimately just it comes down to like being ourselves, having our unique voice. And luckily Nixon's been really good at maintaining that over the 20 plus years. And frankly, a couple ownership changes. But uh where we are today is our founders are heavily engaged. We have a great new executive team that's kind of only been here a couple of years and bring in new energy. And then we have that driving a great brand that's been around for a, de- a couple of decades.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think just going back maybe to the mentor and we'll probably close out on on that, you know, advice or thought process from you in terms of, you know, really parting wisdom, I guess, that, that you have from a mentorship perspective for some of these new brands that are emerging and thinking And I guess, you know, based on what I'm hearing from you, which I tend to agree with, so it's probably my biased viewpoint on on it, but just that lifestyle aspect of it, I love the expansion outside of just that core product offering in the watch, which really is a, to your point, a reflection of you, the watch you wear is you know, part of your vibe, it's your dynamic, it's your fashion statement, it's your individuality. And and because, you know, Nixon kind of celebrates and champions that individuality and the skate and surf roots, et cetera, I think it it's just a really sweet alignment. And then to layer on, you know, these super rad military belts and the, you know, wallets and all the other accessories, even your shirts and stuff, just have a, you know, a very kind of Nixon vibe to them, it's, it's great. Because I think it just goes back to you know, there's no real innovation or bright shiny object in e-commerce. There's no there's no tool that's going to compensate for the relationship that you own and maintain with your customers, and the way that you talk to them, and the way that you listen to them, and the way that you innovate around their experience. Um, just so so powerful. So I commend you guys working through crazy pandemic working through crazy competitive dynamics as well and succeeding and taking control because i think that's the hardest part right it's easy to cut sellers off when your business is raging right it's really hard to cut them off when they've been long-standing customers for a long time when they've helped grow your business when times are hard like to be able to have a united front and to be able to say no and hold strong in a way that actually benefits them to your to your point about this kind of walking in the store and checking your amazon you know showrooming aspect of it it's really powerful and it really cements and deepens those relationships and in some cases it purges relationships where the roots aren't that deep and that can be painful too but in the long term it it really sets you up for success so i appreciate you telling all those stories so back to the i guess mentorship and and new businesses when you're talking to some of these new brands uh whether it's beach chairs or sunday golf or whatever like what are some of the highlights that you're helping them consider in terms of where to prioritize how to think about scaling out their brand where e-commerce fits where direct consumer fits
1: where wholesale fits like yeah that's a good that's a good question and and the, the one answer is there's no there's no one answer right yeah. so i think the first thing is trying most importantly is to try and understand who you want to be as a brand outside of just your product Yep. trying to run a tidy business right you can't make 50 different things well so let's focus on what we can do well let's drive into that especially if you're new and young like really focused don't over skew this thing don't over colorize it yeah. Uh, try and build some efficiencies in early because it's not going to be that efficient early. And then when you're one of these brands and Dick Sporting Goods calls and goes, I'll buy every unit you have on your next three shipments. Just give it to me now because I'm out of stock. You <laughs> really have to have this like come to Jesus moment of like, oh, wow, I could sell everyone risk-free right now or I could bet on myself and sell it on our website. What's yeah. the answer? And if they look at me, I'm going to tell them, I don't know. I'll help you weigh the decision. What's right for you in this moment, this is going to have to be your decision because it's about your business. And how does your business and your brand respond to this moment? And so that's a pretty uh, easy way to not give you a a firm answer, but I think it, it comes down to each business is different. You should try and spend your energy understanding who you want to be, what you want to do. I think trying to map out a roadmap that you want to follow understanding know there's going to be forks in the road and turns you have to make you didn't plan on but so you have a guiding sort of north star like we're going to be a d2c only primary business or no we're going to go to a distributor so we can access markets that are hard to get to and you know lever their expertise or like we need pattern we need or or somebody like pattern because we need to be on amazon we need to be there the right way and there's three of us in a garage and we just can't offer all the stuff that pattern and it's thousand plus employees and multiple market expertise um, can bring to this situation. So I don't know if I answered you at all or helped, but that's that's what I think it does come back to like, again, that's why is Nixon successful? It's not because we make an, a super cool analog watch you couldn't find from five other brands like us. It's because we make it in the Nixon way, right? And that's what matters. And we get it to our customers the best way we can for them. So. That's, and I think that's the answer. Again, I don't know if it's an answer, but I think that's the key to success because there's going to be a million forks in the road. As we said, there's going to be a million decisions. You have to make 500 decisions a day running a business. If you get 251 of them, right, you're beating the curve.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think, you know, your earlier comment just around the dynamics of the companies and the products that you've been most intimate with are very different than the dynamics of someone selling lotion or a consumable or you know some other product in CPG. And I think that's the hard realization that we, I mean, they're just cold hard facts that some brands and some products are not optimal for e-commerce. And it is yes. a very, I mean, you talk about like an existential crisis. Some of these brands that we talk to, it's, I don't know how to help you, man. Like you're, it, it's gonna be a rough road and but there's a path, right? I just talked to a massive CPG the other day. All of everyone on the you know podcast listening would know who they are. But that represented uh, representative just barely left the company. But he was telling me they do 70% of their revenue in China via e-commerce. <laughs> and I, I mean, this is CPG, right? So that and that's consumables and it's low dollar values. But it is just it's crazy how pervasive. And again, China right now is 51% of all retail sales or e-commerce. So 70% is not insane. It's a lot, but especially for an American brand that may not have a ton of retail distribution in the country, uh, pretty impressive. And so I'm with you. Like, I think we've all got to figure out how to maybe not do the Ferrari every time, but get to a place that we can offer our products to consumers via dot com via marketplaces and it's going to require product innovation it's going to require distribution innovation it's going to require you know some some hard times probably but it is the way of the future but at the same time there's always going to place be a place for people buying stuff in the store or the convenience channel or the club channel and so yeah any any other i guess parting thoughts on Maybe the misconceptions that you've seen around e-commerce and and uh, making sure people don't get in too far over their heads.
1: Well, so one thing I think is I've been lucky, right? I, I get to work around fun products, watches, yeah. sunglasses. These are these are fun products. It is not baking soda, um, <laughs> but there's a lot that could be interesting about baking soda because everyone in the world is buying baking soda. Um, I I think the general takeaways that I always try to remember is like you have to be bold at times you might need to invest in that ferrari to see if it works and you can't do it every time but you might have to pick that spot you do get the ferrari in one instance or not so i think you have to be bold i always say you've got to be willing to have a hard conversation i think so much good comes out of a hard conversation even though it's by definition very hard to have i innately want to avoid them at first but then i've realized in my career like no no no, the easy conversations don't beget anything (laughs) the hard conversations are where you really learn as a leader um, and you can push your business forward. So like, if that means calling a great partner and saying, I need to ask you to come off of Amazon, even though you're doing it the right way, even though we love you, this is truly in support of your brick and mortar business or your web business on your own domain, but you're only clouding the the picture on Amazon. Like you just gotta do it and you don't want to, but you've got to. And then if you do, you're gonna find out you're better for it later down the road. So I just think, yeah, have that hard conversation, be bold and work like hell to get those above you to support you in doing it. Get alignment from the executives or owners or CEOs above you and tell them like, are we in this for six months? Are we in this for six years? Let's get this right now. And uh, the sooner you do that, the better off you are and and the more manageable the problems you're trying to fix. Yeah. I couldn't say it
0: better myself. So, well, Charlie, it was a pleasure to catch up with you once again. I will look forward to seeing you at the airport when you decide (laughs) to buy that Ferrari, Uh, I'm going to come down and go surfing with you. We'll we'll throw the boards in the back. So anyway, it's awesome to catch
1: up with you as always, and appreciate you coming on the show. John, I'm uh, honored to be invited. Thank you. And uh, to everybody listening, if you've made it this far, God bless you. Thank you for listening to me blab (laughs) on for half an hour. So
0: all right, sounds good. Well, if you want to get in touch with uh, Charlie, reach out to him on LinkedIn, connect. He's super cool guy, as you can tell. And uh, if you have any questions for me, hit me up, john at pattern.com. We will catch you guys on the next one. Appreciate it.